before we turn to the Word of God, as you've seen, as Derek shared. We're doing a little bit of a, a, an unusual order of service. A little breaking of the routine can sometimes serve to change things up and hopefully make and apply fresh to our hearts the Lord's work in our life. So instead of turning to the scripture, uh, our Scripture reading, we're going to take a moment of a prayer of confession and an assurance of pardon. That's why we sing, right, friends? That's why we sing. That's why we can be happy. That's why we can be joyful. We don't come as those who continually get bashed and bashed by our own unrighteousness. Though that would be true, we don't come beaten up by the Word of God only. We come uplifted with the reminder that for the unrighteous, for the self-righteous, there's hope and assurance of pardon in Christ. So let's take a moment confessing our sin before the Lord and being reminded that in Christ there is an assurance of pardon. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you not only as a submissive people recognizing our place as your creatures, we also recognize that we are below you in our nature, that you are holy, holy, holy. You are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. Yet, Father, we recognize that we are unlike you in this way and that we are sinners each and every moment of our existence from our nature born in sin from our first parents Adam and Eve and in our conduct we regularly break the commands and will of you and so we come confessing our need for you Confessing our sin, that if it were not for Christ, it would be our lives laid on the altar. And that price that we could pay would not pardon us, it would not make us righteous, it would not make us just. Nor would the blood of goats and bulls make us just, but rather it points us forward to the perfect and pleasing, atoning blood of Christ. And in Him, we have assurance of pardon. We have justification. We have righteousness, the forgiveness of sins. So, Father, we confess and we lean into, we turn to Christ by faith. That as the song goes, though our sins, they are many, your mercy is more. Father, that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. The one who confesses their sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, what an assurance 
that you've given us. May we trust all the more this morning that the precious blood of Christ makes us white as snow. Father, may there be any in here who are not trusting in Christ, trusting in His work of atonement on the cross. May they be pressed by the Spirit this morning to trust in Him. That just as Your Word says, as Peter will answer the religious leaders, there is salvation in no other name. So, Father, may those who do not know you trust in Christ this morning. May those who are saved and walking by faith walk all the more in a faith and an assurance of our justification because of and all because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'd ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 as we continue in this study of the book of Acts. Last week, our, our sermon in a sentence is, though while miracles draw spectators, faith in Christ alone saves both beggars and the self-righteous. So in one sense, this is part two of the same narrative in Luke's account here in Acts. And so while we didn't quite see the response of the self-righteous in that text, we will see it in full display here in chapter 4. So this morning, our sermon title, if it fits, is Boldness Amidst Opposition to Jesus. I don't need to ask forgiveness for this, so this is not what I'm doing, but I'm just going to say, I'm going to say the name of Jesus a lot in this sermon. Because it's in His name, and His name alone, that we are to minister and are to serve. For there is no other name by which we can be saved. I want to give you our sermon in a sentence this morning. While the world opposes the name of Jesus... Jesus' followers are called to pray for boldness to continue faithfully proclaiming His name. While the world opposes the name of Jesus, Jesus' followers are called to pray for boldness to continue faithfully proclaiming His name. Name. If you didn't get that in those two times, the three points that follow will all be highlighting those themes to be able to show all of those things from our text this morning. So first, we'll look at the world opposes the name of Jesus. Secondly, we'll look at Jesus' followers are called to pray for boldness. And thirdly and finally, we'll look at Jesus' followers are equipped to continually, to continue faithfully proclaiming His name. Jesus' followers are equipped to continue faithfully proclaiming His name. If you didn't jot that down as a skeletal outline, don't worry, we'll get there. First, the world opposes the name of Jesus. Let me read. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through 
for this. The world opposes the name of Jesus. Remember what's just happened. Peter and John have approached the temple and there was a man lame from birth sitting asking for money. Peter gives this amazing retort. We don't have gold or silver, but what we have, we give it to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. So they've just had this amazing healing. And you think everyone's just in awe and wonder. But let's read in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. The world opposes the name of Jesus. What is it that caused Peter and John to end up being in prison. They were proclaiming the resurrected Christ. And I love how Luke, obviously he didn't write in English. That wasn't a thing at this point in the first century. But the translation is they were annoyed. The self-righteous response to this miracle is not awe and amazement. It's annoyance. The world has always been in opposition to Jesus. So not only do they arrest Peter and John, but they take them and they begin this trial, which if you're familiar with the chronology of what's gone on, remember we were in Acts chapter 2 and the Spirit comes and indwells believers. What took place before that? Jesus ascended. What took place before that? Jesus proclaimed for 40 days. He taught of the kingdom of God and did all of these different things and equipped his disciples to continue in this ministry. What happened before that? Jesus rose from the dead. What happened before that? Jesus was crucified. What happened before that? Jesus was put on a fake trial, similar to the one that Peter and John are most likely about to be in the midst of. Will these brothers be bold in opposition? Will they be bold in the pressure of these religious elites? I think it's hard for us sometimes to grasp the situation in the first century and today. We know here in 2023, there is a separation between church and state. Don't blend them. If you start to blend them, it's not going to work out well. Well, in this time, in this place, though under Roman guard, there was also this reality that the church was the state. To use the word a theonomy, it was a God-centered, law-specific from the Old Testament law that for this specific time, Rome was not super concerned with Jewish ritual law as long as it didn't compete with their authority. So these religious leaders weren't just like pastors coming and saying, hey, you really shouldn't be doing that. They had the authority to arrest them. They have legitimate authority in this sense. And by the way, let me say they're wielding it very unbiblically. 
They're wielding it very unbiblically. And so as Peter and John begin the, the midst of this mock trial, not only are they arrested because of proclaiming the name of Christ, but in Acts chapter 4, verse 7, Luke continues, they ask them to give evidence. And they say, by what name did you do this? This is the high priest. This is those who put Peter on trial. By what name did you do this miracle? Peter responds, Jesus' name. Look at verse 10. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. What are they arrested for? Proclaiming the resurrected Christ. What's he doing in his defense? He's proclaiming the resurrected Christ. He's proclaiming Jesus to them. And he continues in the rest of verse 10 that by him, Jesus, this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. I'm not familiar with uh, stone work, but it is very often regarded within constructing of this kind, the cornerstone. If you think about it, I'd encourage you all to do it, to go out after church, take the opposite stairs, go look at this northeast corner and look at the cornerstone. Look at the text that those who built this church put on the cornerstone. The cornerstone in this building has significance historically, but it doesn't hold the whole building up. Praise God. But in that time, this cornerstone was perfectly selected to be the foundation, the, the sure and assured reality that the structure would hold. Peter, using that imagery, says this is who Jesus is. It's in him that all things hold together. This Jesus you rejected. Peter holds no punches. He tells them candidly, it's Jesus. It's Jesus whom they've crucified and rejected. It's Jesus who's done this. And they are furious. But because of this, because of Jesus, Peter concludes, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What an opposition to their power and authority structure of adherence to the law. Temple worship. It is a new day, a fulfilled day, and that the people of God are no longer required to keep the law. You could argue that they never were required to keep the law. The law was in place to show them that they'd broken the law when they broke the law, and how to receive forgiveness after they'd broken the law. Jesus comes and fulfills the law, keeps it perfectly in adherence to the Father, plays the part of the sacrificial system and lays his own life down on the account of God's people, making them new. 
So Peter, in the face of these authorities, is saying, it's just Jesus. The only way that this can happen, it's Jesus. The only way that you can be right before God's not keeping the law, it's by trusting in Jesus. This Jesus who you put on trial, who you crucified, who you rejected. For salvation in no one but this Jesus. Think about the contrast. That this man was healed is a miracle, but that this man and that any who trust by faith in Christ have new and eternal life. That's far more superior than being able to walk, even though the text reads that this man was lame, not just for a couple of years. This is not a eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old. This is not a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old. It says, Luke accounts that he was 40 years old. 40 years old. I've shared this story before as we think about the world being opposed to the name of Jesus. Hopefully we all believe that in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, miraculous things happen. There's a song by a band that I actually like. It's a Christian song by the name, Your Name is Power. I've mentioned it to a couple of folks at different points. And, and you hear the title and you're like, oh man, your name is power by a Christian band. Like this is going to be incredible. And it goes and it goes and it goes. And I searched it again this morning and I found the lyrics and I did a search for the name Jesus in the lyrics. And you want to tell me how many times Jesus' name was in the song? Zero times. The name that's so powerful to push back darkness, the name that's so powerful that in that name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. In that name, it's so powerful. Yet they don't utter it at all. The world opposes the name of Jesus. And we must be bold not to skirt His name. Not to soften it. There is salvation and hope, sure. And it's in Jesus and Him alone. May we be bold in a pluralistic, in a relativistic society that says, well, that might be cool for you, man. This is truth. There is hope. There's peace, there's forgiveness of sin, and it comes through a person, and his name is Jesus. I love how Peter uses not just Jesus, but he connects Jesus with the physical place of his birth, Jesus of Nazareth. These religious leaders would have known the crucifixion happened. They would have known Jesus of Nazareth. They would have perhaps even seen him for the 40 days that he ministered on earth. Peter reminds them that this is reality. But opposition to Jesus is not new. It didn't just come in the first century, and it didn't just come in the 21st century. Opposition to Jesus is not new, because in Peter's defense, he directs in his prayer, rather, he directs his prayer and supplication to the Lord, and he utilizes Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which say, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Have you ever thought about that? As a conflict in Ukraine has escalated, 
world wars, the thought of all of the conflict within even our own country. Lord, why does this happen? The psalmist answers, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Why do these things happen? Why do the nations rage? Why do wars take place? Because ultimately they rage against God and his son, Jesus. There will be opposition, friends. There always has been opposition. As followers of Jesus, we follow him into this difficult space. Spaces of opposition, malice, and contempt. Sounds great, doesn't it? Like the Trojan plea. Let's go to the gates. Let's eat. Let's celebrate because tomorrow we die. It's not that. We go to these spaces, but we do not go there alone. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 15. Remember, the world is in opposition to the name of Jesus. Jesus tells his followers the same thing. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Why will they do this to Jesus' followers? Because of Jesus' name. What will we do in the face of opposition? It tells us in our work workplace. You can be a Christian, but don't bring that into the public sphere. Here's one that I thought of. What will we do when a private organization tells our church we can't have a table somewhere? What will we do when opposition comes? Not because of us, but because we align with Jesus. If we are to be faithful followers of Christ, we cannot be silent. We cannot shrink back. And in so doing, I think Jesus provides for us comfort. Not only reminding us that he goes before us. He is our pioneer. We can look to him, the source and perfecter of our faith. We can look to him who trudged the path before us. But we also can be comforted that we have access to him. And so we must pray just as the apostles do. Pray for boldness in a world that hates the name of Jesus, that opposes the name of Jesus. Jesus' followers, point two, are called to pray for boldness. Right? Peter and John have been thrown in jail. They've stood trial. They are able to provide evidence in the 40-year-old man standing up and the the rulers and those who are standing trial against them say, it's clear to us 
It's clear to us. Let me see where that is. Verse 21 and verse 22. Turn with me just your eyes there in Acts 4, verse 21 and 22. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Right? So they've been threatened. They've been doing all of this different thing. And in the midst of that, Peter tells them in response to saying, don't speak of the name of Jesus anymore. Don't teach in his name. We'll let you go. Just don't do that again. Peter's retort of boldness. Verse 19, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. We can't proclaim Jesus risen from the dead. We just can't help it. We've seen it. Right? We've seen too much. We've experienced too much. We've walked with him. The accusation was that they recognized that these unlearned men were spending time with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. This boldness continues in their ministry. And as they continue in boldness, they pray this prayer, right? After these threats, after these accusations, they're released. And what's the first thing that Peter does? Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, let's not get into the prayer right now. But when they heard it, they lifted their voices. They began to pray over this situation. And I want us to just quickly, if Jesus' followers are called to pray for boldness, let's look at how confidence in God promotes boldness, right? Let's just look at the content of Peter's prayer. First, confidence in God as sovereign provides boldness amidst opposition. Verse 24, Peter addresses sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Confidence in God as sovereign provides boldness amidst opposition. What are the authorities trying to do? They're trying to do exactly what they hope to do, to exert authority, to intimidate, to keep them quiet. And so an acknowledgement that God is sovereignly over control reminds the believers that ultimately these Pharisees and Sadducees who are standing trial against them, they're not in control. They're not in authority. The one who is truly in authority is God. A confidence in God as sovereign provides boldness in opposition. The second thing that we see in the content of this prayer is that a confidence in God's word as authoritative provides boldness amidst opposition. Confidence in God's word as authoritative Peter draws from Psalm chapter 2, look at verse 25 and 26, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This isn't entirely a, we knew this was going to happen. But it's also not that. That in the face of opposition, Peter and the other apostles can say, this isn't taking us by surprise. From the beginning, we see that the seed of the serpent comes to try and squash out the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. And we're promised in Genesis chapter 3 that this will continue on forever until the seed of the woman crushes the serpent's head. So they're able to have confidence, knowing that the word of God has said this opposition will come. Confidence in God's word is authoritative, provides boldness amidst opposition. God, why is this happening to me? This is so hard. It will be hard. It will be hard. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. This is a text I loved, but apparently not enough to memorize it. Jesus tells his disciples, John 16, chapter, chapter 16, verse 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, confidence in God is sovereign. Confidence in God's word is authoritative. Both of those things provide boldness in the midst of opposition. But as we continue through Peter's prayer, confidence in God's plan as predestined provides boldness amidst opposition. Confidence in God's plan as predestined provides boldness amidst opposition. These religious leaders thought putting Jesus to the cross was going to squash this religion. They thought silencing Peter and John and the other apostles was going to cause this religion to stop. Again, Peter, not scared in his prayer, says this plan, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It's the Lord who's sovereign and his plans are sure from the beginning of the earth, before the beginning of the earth. Confidence in God's plan as predestined provides boldness amidst opposition and an unsure future. Do you believe that God has it in control? Do you believe that he has a plan for you? Do you believe that he has a plan for your family? Do you believe that he has a plan even for the state of Kentucky, the nation, the United States, to the world? God has a plan. God has a plan. It was from before the foundation of the world. You know what his plan is? Is to seek and save the lost through his son Jesus. That a table prepared for him in heaven would be occupied by people of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation singing praise to their king. This is his plan. He wants to include you in that plan. 
And if you've trusted in Christ, you are a part of that plan. And if you've yet to trust in Christ, let me invite you to the table. It's not about the table, it's about Him. Salvation doesn't come through a table, salvation comes through Christ. Fourthly and finally, how Jesus' followers are called to pray that a confidence in God's ability to provide boldness to His people provides boldness to continue in the work. Let me say that again. Make sure you caught the error. Confidence in God's ability to provide boldness to His people provides boldness to continue in the ministry. Let's scratch our chins real quick. Confidence in God's ability to provide boldness provides boldness? That's what I picked up on that. But yet Peter still prays for it. Peter prays for boldness and the confidence in being able to pray for that boldness provides boldness. Why? Because God is a giver of good gifts. And he gives to those who ask in faith, James reminds us. And so when Peter takes this petition and asks God for boldness in verse 30, saying, while you stretch out your hands to heal, let me start in 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They don't pray for more creative ways to be able to preach the gospel. They don't pray for a different back door. They say, no, give us boldness, we pray, to continue to do exactly what you've called us to do, that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. So, Lord, because that's true, give us boldness to not shrink back from these these trials and these intimidations. Give us boldness, we pray while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So Jesus' name has always been opposed, point one. Jesus' followers are called to pray for boldness. And thirdly and finally, Jesus' followers are equipped to continually, to continue faithfully proclaiming His name. Jesus' followers are equipped to continue faithfully proclaiming his name. Peter's just concluded his prayer. The brothers have just concluded this prayer. And verse 31 says, Luke records, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Jesus' followers are equipped to continue faithfully proclaiming His name. Friends, is it a sin to ask God to fill you more with His Spirit? No. Have you been filled with His Spirit? Yes. If you've trusted in Christ, His Spirit dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Praise God. What a miracle. What a miracle. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so, it's not wrong for us to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the uh, very, uh, how would you say it? Very spiritual or very, um, I'm blanking on the name, but there is no second filling of the Holy Spirit. 
There's no extra spiritual people. Uh, you don't have 80% and you don't have 95. If we've trusted in Christ, we all have 100% of the Spirit of God pulsing through us to equip us. And in the midst of that, we can pray in these specific moments and in general, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. What does that do? That reminds us, that positions our hearts to recognize if I walk in my flesh, this ain't going to go down well. But before my feet hit the floor, if I'm praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit this morning, because I got kids that are going to come in saying I'm hungry. I got kids that came in at 4 a.m. saying I'm hungry. I've got a husband or a wife that is just nagging me all the time. I've got a job that takes all these. If we don't have the spirit, friends, we are fleshly devils. Not even to mention the importance of proclaiming Christ. We're just like, just help us get through the day. But it's not merely about that. It's about proclaiming Christ, that in Him salvation and in Him alone is found. It says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled for the purpose of continuing to speak the Word of God with boldness. Acts 1.8, Jesus gives a commission. Wait until the Spirit comes and go. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And He gives him the Spirit. And now He continues the work of allowing them to go and be His witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are equipped to continue faithfully proclaiming His name in the midst of opposition, in the midst of a world and a place and a people that do not love Jesus. In some and many cases, they hate Him. Proclaim Him all the more. Peter prays for boldness and he receives it. In conclusion, it should not surprise us that the Spirit of God would impart to the people of God the boldness of God in proclaiming salvation in the Son of God. It should not surprise us that the Spirit of God would impart to the people of God the boldness of God in proclaiming salvation in the Son of God. Friends, Jesus is the means. Jesus is the end. We proclaim Him, and it is in Him through the Spirit, what an amazing reality that the triune God predestined this to be the way that His mission is accomplished through sinful, fallen humans equipped with His Spirit to proclaim in boldness salvation in His Son. May we not shrink back. May we be bold and follow the model that Peter sets for us. Let me pray for us that God would give us boldness in this task. Let me pray.